Chapters seventeen and eighteen of Stories from Virgil. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Stories from Virgil by Alfred J. Church. Chapters seventeen and eighteen. Chapter seventeen. The Gathering of the Chiefs. After this, the shepherds hasted back to the city and bare with them the dead, even the youth Almo and the old man Galesus, and cried for vengeance to the gods and to the king and fiercest of all was Turnus, complaining that men of Troy were called to reign over them, and that he himself was banished. And all the multitude was urgent with the king that he should make war against the strangers. Neither did any man regard the commands of the gods. But the king stood firm, even as a great rock in the sea is not moved, though the waves roar about it and the seaweed is dashed upon its sides. But when he saw that he could not prevail against these evil counsels, he called the gods to witness, crying, The storm strikes upon me, and I may not stand against it. O foolish Latins, ye shall pay for this madness with your blood, and thou, Turnus, shalt suffer the worst punishment of all. And when thou shalt turn to the gods, they shall not hear thee. But as for me, my rest is at hand. I lose but the honours of my funeral." It was a custom in Latium, which Alba kept in after time, and mighty Rome yet keepeth to this day, that when she beginneth to make war, be it on the men of Thrace, or the men of the East, Arab, or Indian, or Parthian, they open the great gates of the temple, double they are, and made strong with bolts of brass and iron. On the threshold whereof sitteth Janus, the guardian for the consul himself, with robe and girdle, so soon as fathers give their sentence for war, throws them wide, and the people follow the consul, and the horns blow a great blast together. Even so they bade King Latinus, after the custom of his country, declare war against the men of Troy, and open the gates of slaughter. But he would not, flying and hiding himself in darkness. Then did great Juno herself come down and burst asunder, the iron-bound gates of war. Then through the land of Italy men prepared themselves for battle, making bright shield and spear, and sharpening the axe upon the whetstone. And in five cities did they set up anvils to make arms thereon, headpieces and shields of wicker, and breastplates of bronze, and greaves of silver, nor did men regard any more the reaping hook or the plough, making new for battle the swords of their fathers. Now the greatest of the chiefs were these. First, Prince Mezentius, the Tuscan, who regarded not the gods, and with him Lossus, his son, than whom was none fairer in the host but Turnus only. A thousand men followed him from Agila. Worthy was he of a better father. Next came, with horses that none might surpass, Aventinus, son of Hercules, and on his shield was the emblem of his father, the Hydra, with its hundred snakes. Long swords had his men and Sabine spears, and he himself had about his head and shoulders a great lion's skin, with terrible mane and great white teeth. And from Tiber came two youths of Argos, twin brothers, Catullus and Chorus, swift and strong as two centaurs from the hills, and Siculus, who builded Prinesti, was there, son of Vulcan, and a great company of country folk with him, whereof many bear not shield nor spear, but slings with bullets of lead, and javelins in either hand, 
and helmets of wolf's skin upon their heads after him marched messapus tamer of horses neptune's son whom no man might lay low with fire or sword and the people followed singing a war-song of their king like to a great flock of swans which flies with many cries across the asian marsh and next clausus the sabine from whom is sprung the great claudian house and Halesis, companion of agamemnon and enemy of troy from of old with many nations behind him clubs had they fastened with thongs of leather and wicker shields on their left arms and their swords were shaped as reaping hooks after these came ebolus son of telon with the men of campania wearing helmets of cork and having shields and swords of bronze also euphens of nursi with his robber bands and umbro the marcian priest a mighty wizard and charmer of serpents who also could heal their bite but the wound of the trojan spears he could not heal nor did all his charms and mighty herbs avail him with them also came verbius son of hippolytus from egeria for men say that hippolytus when the curse of his father had fallen upon him and he had perished by the madness of his horses was made alive by the skill of Aesculapius, and that jupiter being wroth that a mortal should return from the dead slew the healer the son of phoebus with his thunderbolt but that hippolytus diana hid in the grove of aricia that he might spend the rest of his days obscure without offence and therefore do they yet hinder horses from coming near to the temple of diana nevertheless the youth verbius drave horses in his chariot but chief among them all was turnus who moved in the midst clad in armour and overtopping them all by his head and he had a helmet with three crests and the chimera thereon for a sign and on his shield was io with her horns lifted to heaven and argus the herdsman and inachus pouring a river from his urn a great multitude of footmen followed him vertulians and sicanians and they that dwell about the tiber and about anxer and about the green woods of feronia last of all came camilla the volsian with a great company on horses clad in armour of bronze she loved neither distaff nor the basket of minerva but rather to fight and to outstrip the winds in running and a mighty runner was she for she would run over the harvest-field nor harm the corn and when she sped across the waves of the sea she wetted not her foot therein all the youth marvelled to behold her and the women stood gazing upon her as she went for a robe of royal purple was about her shoulders and a snood of gold about her hair and she carried a syrian quiver and a pike of myrtle wood as the shepherds are wont chapter eighteen king of Vander. So the chiefs were gathered together, and much people with them, Mezentius and Euphens, and Mesippus being their leaders. They sent an embassy likewise to Diomed, for Diomed had built him a city in Italy, even Arpi, to tell him that Aeneas and the men of Troy were setting up a kingdom in these parts, and to bid him take counsel for himself. But Aeneas was much troubled at these things, and cast about in his mind where he should look for help. And while he meditated thereon he slept, and lo, in his dreams, the god of the river, even Father Tiber, appeared to him. An old man was he, 
and clad in a blue linen robe, and having a crown of reeds upon his head. And he spake, saying, Thou art welcome to this land, to which thou hast brought the gods of Troy. Be not dismayed at wars and rumours of wars, nor cease from thy enterprise, and this shall be a sign unto thee. Thou shalt find upon the shore a white sow with thirty young, white also, about her teats. And it shall come to pass that after thirty years Iulus shall build him a white city. And now I will tell thee how thou shalt have victory in this war. Certain men of Arcadia, following their king, Evander, have built a city in this land, and called its name Palantium. These wage war continually with the Latins. To them therefore thou must go, making thy way up the stream of the river. Rise, therefore, and offer sacrifice to Juno, appeasing her wrath, and to me thou shalt perform thy vows when thou shalt have prevailed. For know that I am Tiber the river, and that of all the rivers on earth none is dearer to the gods. Then Aeneas roused him from sleep, and made his supplications to the nymphs and the river-god, that they would be favourable to him. And when he looked, lo, upon the shore a white sow with thirty young, white also, about her teats. Of these he made a sacrifice to Juno, and after this he commanded that they should make ready two ships, and so went on his way. And Tiber stayed his stream so that the men might not toil in rowing. Quickly they sped and many trees were above their heads, and the image thereof in the water beneath, and at noonday they beheld a city with walls, and a citadel, and a few houses round about. Now it chanced that Evander and his people were holding a sacrifice that day to Hercules before the city. But when they saw through the trees the ships approaching, they were astonished, and rose all from the feast. But Pallas, who was the son of the king, commanded that they should not interrupt the sacrifice. And snatching a spear, he cried from the mound whereon the altar stood, Strangers, why come ye? What seek ye? Do ye bring peace or war? Then Aeneas cried from the stern of his ship, holding out the while an olive branch, We be men of Troy, enemies of the Latins, and we seek King Evander. Say therefore to him that Aeneas, prince of Troy, is come, seeking alliance with him. Much did Pallas marvel to hear this name, and said, Approach thou, whoever thou art, and hold converse with my father. And he caught him by the hand. And when Aeneas was set before King Evander, he spoke, saying, I come to thee, O king, not unwilling or fearful, though indeed thou art a Greek and akin to the sons of Atreus. For between thee and me also there is kindred, for Dardanus, builder of Troy, was the son of Electra, who was the daughter of Atlas. And ye come from Mercurius, who was the son of Selene, who was also the daughter of Atlas. Wherefore I sent not ambassadors to thee, but came myself, fearing nothing. Know thou that the Daunian race, which warreth against thee, pursueth us also, against whom if they prevail, without doubt they shall rule over Italy from the one sea even to the other. I would therefore that we make alliance together." And as he spake, Evander ceased not to regard him, and when he had ended spake, saying, Welcome, great son of Troy! Gladly do I recognize the voice and face of Anchises, for I remember how Priam came of old time to the kingdom of his sister Hesione, 
who was the wife of Telamon, and many princes were with him, but the mightiest of them was Anchises. Much did I love the man, and took him with me to Phineus, and he gave me when he departed a quiver and arrows of Lycia, and a cloak with threads of gold, and two bridles of gold, which my son Pallas hath to this day. The alliance that thou seekest I grant. To-morrow shalt thou depart with such help as I can give. But now, since ye come at such a good time, join us in our sacrifice and feast. So they feasted together on the flesh of oxen, and drank wine, and were merry. But when they had made an end of eating and drinking, King Evander spake, saying, This great feast, my friend, we hold not without good reason, which thou shalt now hear from me. Seest thou this great ruin of rocks? Here in old time was a cave, running very deep into the cliff, wherein Sacus dwelt, a monster but half-man, whose father was Vulcan. The ground thereof reeked with blood, and at the mouth were fixed the heads of dead men. Very great of stature was he, and breathed out fire from his mouth. To this land came Hercules, driving before him the oxen of Gerion, whom he had slain. And when he had left these to feed in the valley by the river, Sacus, that he might fill up the measure of his wickedness, stole four bulls and four heifers, the very chiefest of the herd. And that he might conceal the thing, he dragged them by the tails backwards, so that the tracks led not to the cave. But it chanced that the herd made a great bellowing when Hercules would have driven them away in the morning, and one of the heifers, which Sacus had hidden in the cave, bellowed also, making answer. Then was Hercules very wroth, and caught up in his hand his great knotted club, and climbed to the top of the hill. Then was Sacus sore afraid, and fled to his cave swift as the wind, fear giving wings to his feet. And when he was come thither, he shut himself therein, letting fall a great stone which he had caused to hang over the mouth thereof, by cunning devices that he had learned from his father. And when Hercules was come he sought to find entrance and could not. But at the last he saw one of the rocks, that it was very high, and leaned to the river. This he pushed from the other side, so that it fell with a great crash into the water. Then did the whole cave of Sacus lie open to view, horrible to behold, as though the earth were to open her mouth and show the regions of the dead. And first Hercules shot at the monster with arrows, and cast boughs and great stones at him. And Sacus vomited forth from his mouth fire and smoke filling the whole cave, and Hercules endured not to be so baffled, but plunged into the cave even where the smoke was thickest, and caught him, twining his arms and legs about him, and strangled him that he died. Of which deed, O oh my friends, we keep the remembrance year by year. Do ye therefore join in our feast, putting first wreaths of poplar about your heads, for the poplar is the tree of Hercules. So they feasted, and the priests, even the Salii, being in two companies, young and old, sang the great deeds of Hercules, how, being yet an infant, he strangled the snakes that Juno sent to slay him, and overthrew mighty cities, and endured many grievous labors, slaying the centaurs and the lion of Nemea, and how he went down to hell, and dragged the dog Cerberus therefrom, and many other things likewise. And at even they went back to the city, and as they went Evander told Aeneas many things concerning the country, how of old a savage race dwelt therein, living even as the beasts whom Saturn, flying from his son Jupiter, first taught, 
giving them customs and laws, and how other kings also had borne rule over them, and how he himself had come to the land at the bidding of Apollo. Also he showed him the city which he had founded, and the places thereof. Very famous were they in after-time, when mighty Rome was builded, even on the selfsame ground. And when they came to his palace, he said, Hercules entered this dwelling, though indeed it be small and lowly. Think not, then, overmuch of riches, and so make thyself worthy to ascend to heaven, as he also ascended. Then he led him within the palace, and bade him rest on a couch, whereon was spread the skin of an African bear. End of chapters 17 and 18 Recording by Bill Borst